Man, you know, back in, uh, back in August, we talked a lot about uh, uh, setting a new sail uh, to raise our sail, that only God can make the wind blow, but, but you have to do your part. You have to raise your sail and, and let God use you and be ready to be used. And when, when I look around the, the church, uh, and I don't mean just clear view, when I look around the church that's here in America today and, and what we're seeing and experiencing in our culture, the church, the church is in new waters. You know, I didn't, uh, I, if you look around, I don't, in my lifetime, in just my lifetime, I, I don't recall the church experiencing and seeing the America that, that I look at now. If you grew up in the 60s, if, 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 for those of you that grew up and went to high school in the 60s, you saw a very turbulent America. Uh, you, you saw, uh, man, just, just uh, an America politically divided. You saw culturally, cultural division. You, for those of you that grew up in the, and, and kind of your, in your high school or even your college years in the 60s, you've seen America do these cycles. I, I haven't. Uh, in, in my time, I, I look at America, we look around your culture right now, man, you know, you, you know what I see, you guys, I, I, see a, I see a human race that is just tired, just tired. People are tired. School teachers, oh, man, bless your heart. If you are a school teacher, listen, just praise God for you. I mean, just what you're having to deal with and, and what our kids are having to deal with and what our kids are having to experience. And, you know, can, I mean, I, I, I saw, I remember uh, when, when, when COVID first hit and most of the kids were going remote, I remember uh, Tucker's little school teacher, his school teacher, at, in, the first, in, in the first 45 minutes, so we, we kind of listened in to the Zoom, you know, because we were like, how's this going to go? Is he going to need help? And and so, uh, and all we heard was, uh, okay, turn to page 42. John, hey, John, John, no, 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 John, get back on the screen. You're muted. Uh, now, now look, uh, y'all right here. No, no, Jessica, hold on. No, Jessica, hold on. And it went like that for 45 minutes. And after 45 minutes, she said, we're going to reconvene at 1130. And um, I mean, she just walked off and I don't blame her. She was in the right. Uh, she's like, this is herding cats, you know, and, and it went like that for a long time. I see a human race that's tired. I, I talk to people in corporate America, and you're, you're on 12 hours of Zoom calls that start at 6 a.m. People are just tired. They're, they're, they're really tired. I see an America right now. I've never watched, I've never been around an America where, where all of us are have you, have you felt like everybody's wanting you to choose sides? Like for two, three, four, five years now, way before COVID, it's like choosing sides. We got people just choosing sides all the time. It's, it's, it's strange now. You know, it's are you, a, are you a vaccine person or a no vaccine person? You know, are you a mask person or are you not a mask person? Are you a Democrat or you're a Republican? Are you, are you pro-constitutional carry or are you anti-constitutional carry? You know, are we, are, I mean, just the list goes on and on and on and on and on and on and on. And it's like, I've never, I mean, it, it's really, it's really a weird day. The church is in new waters. We're in really unique waters. I see a human race that is really tired, exhausted, and divided. But I want to tell you, when it comes to the church, all of that comes in here, Right? 
All of that comes in here all the time. You're, you're facing it all day, every day. And yet when we come in here, what I can see for us is, though, here's the, here's the unique hope. The unique hope is it doesn't have to be that way here. Right? It doesn't have to be that way here. Today, I'm going to start... Uh, we got a, a new series. We got a, a missions month coming in November. You're going to love November at Clearview. It's really cool to see all the things our church does, local, state, and even international missions, and how we've had to reinvent that in a, in a pandemic world. That's coming up. And then right after that, we're going into Keys to Freedom. And that is going to unleash so much, I believe, our staff believes so much healing in our church internally with our stories and how God, how God has shaped us and, and walked us through our life stories. There's, there's a lot coming in the next four or five months that I believe our church is going to move up to higher ground. And, and kind of as a way of getting ready to, to set our sail that God could use us. When we look at how we operate here at Clearview, I want to talk to you today on a, a short series I'm going to do called Church Reimagined. Church Reimagined. I, I want you to think through how you look at church and, and how, how we come into a place where, while, while regardless of all that's going on in the world and all that we see in our country and all that we see in our own towns, even in our own workforce, even among our own families, with, with as much as we've had to endure in the last two years, I want you to know it doesn't have to be that way here. It doesn't have to be that way here. Imagine, imagine a church, and I'm not talking about just Cleveland, I'm talking about Christians now, okay? Church with a capital C. Imagine, imagine God's people where we weren't having to choose sides. Imagine a church environment where, where we, we just weren't hard on each other. I don't know about you guys, but when I look around the United States of America, man, we're hard on each other. We're hard on each other. I mean, it's just, it's just a tough world right now. Imagine, imagine a church where, you, where, where regardless of denomination, regardless of where you went to church, just imagine that when you came here, we just weren't hard on each other. Imagine a church where you believed the best about each other. Imagine a church that instead of gossiping about somebody or something you didn't like, that you actually gave people the benefit of the doubt. Imagine, imagine a church where, where, where we could disagree and it's cool. I mean, have you, I, one thing, just on a aside, I'm, I'm wondering in the last five, six, seven years of my life, when, when, when did disagreeing with each other become grounds for just, you know, unfriending. You know? Oh, I don't, I don't agree with that. Unfriend, 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 unfriend. You know, and just, you know, I mean, since when did, since when did disagreeing with each other become a bad thing? I don't know about you, but disagreements can be healthy. Imagine a church where that was okay. Imagine a church where what you just sang about, where, where we actually did see people healed from diseases. 
See, I believe God does that. I don't believe God just did that. I believe God does that. Imagine a church, imagine a church where you, you saw people delivered. Imagine a church that never made room for sin, but always made room for sinners. See, I, I think we could do that. And in fact, I think, I think Clearview could be, I think Clearview absolutely could be a church that isn't hard on each other. I think that Clearview can be a church where people give each other the benefit of the doubt. I, I, I believe that Clearview can be a place where people don't just run one another down. I believe that Clearview can be a place where we believe that God can reconcile a marriage that is about to end in divorce. I believe that, that, that Clearview can be a place where we do see diseases heal. I believe that Clearview can be a place that, that all of God's people can look radically different because unity doesn't equal uniformity. But we could be all of that. And that's actually the church that Jesus launched. In fact, what you're experiencing today, it, it's, it's new for us, but I do want to tell you there's hope because... That's the exact kind of climate that Jesus launched the church in. Believe it or not, if you go back and you look at, if you go back and you look at, at what you see in the New Testament, I kind of drew it out for you. Um, these are the kind of the three, the three rings up there, Jews, Gentiles, and Romans. For the most part, those were the people that, that were the context for where Jesus built a church. And he built a church among Jews. Now, I'm, I'm making this like, incredibly simplistic, but, but what the Jews wanted was they wanted a, a culture where there was religious conformity, okay? That, that there was a set of standards instituted by God, and we believed, and they believed in a theocracy, not a democracy, and so that theocracy was one where God was constantly in control, and on top of that, but they also had a lot of rules and regulations that really weren't biblical, but they wanted to see a culture where people conformed religiously, the Romans were different. They just wanted to own all of it. They didn't care so much about your religion. They wanted your tax money. They, they, wanted, they wanted conformity to their cause. And if you didn't want to do that, well, they had a thing called a sword. And they would just kill you. You know, Abraham Lincoln one time said, uh, try reconciliation. And when that doesn't work, try bullets. And something that I didn't get the quote exactly right, but that's, that's basically what he said. And, and, and so the Romans took that to a whole different extreme than Abraham Lincoln did, right? The Romans just wanted dominance and power. And Gentiles, well, the best way to describe them, they were the outsiders. They were the non-Jews. It's not that they didn't believe in anything, but you had everything in that camp. You had pagan worship. You had uh, worship at the altar of sexual fertility. You had worship at the altar of the God of fire. You had people that just kind of was the Wild West, man. And so in amongst all of that, Jesus launched a church in a very divided culture in a very charged culture. And yet what you see is what you see is this, you see people who were burned on religion and burned out by oppressive spirituality. All of a sudden you see people like Gentiles actually coming to faith. I mean, they were some of the first ones you see Jews coming and leaving their mom and their dad's religion, and you see their mom and then them flocking to this new man, Jesus. And, 
And you see Romans coming up to Jesus and saying, my, my daughter's sick. Can you, can you heal her? Like something was really going on really, really, really different. There was a new hydration, and that was the context of what was going on there. I want you to uh, walk with me this morning into what I'm going to call just in church reimagined. Imagined a, a church together. That's what I'm going to talk to you about. Imagine today's first installment is imagine a church that's just together. Unity doesn't mean uniformity, but imagine a church that's together. And so to go there, let's go to Acts chapter 2. If you've got a Bible, it's kind of in the middle, two-thirds of your Bible. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then you got the book of Acts. Now let me give you the context of what's going on right here. Okay, so you see uh, Peter, he, um, he is a, uh, he's been preaching a sermon, and it says in Acts 2.41, after Peter preaches his sermon... Verse 40, Acts 2, 40, and with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept exhorting them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. And so then, those that had received his word were baptized, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls to the church. I mean, that's, hey, that's a tent revival right there, right? Can you imagine all of a sudden going from like just a few apostles to a mega church in a day? Wow. All of you logistics people, like you're overloaded at the thought of that right now, right? You're just like, I quit. I can't, can you imagine? Can you imagine? Like it, it, it just, the, the, the logistical complexity of that, right? And so what has happened is, is that the, Jesus has ascended into heaven and, and the Holy Spirit has come. And so, so um, this is my, I'm a DeWalt guy. And I like what they do, and I like that I can put different one battery on all kinds of different tools. But this is my cordless drill, and 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 so it, what, what's what's kind of I want you to imagine that that this drill is is the church. This is the apostles. These are all the people that were following Jesus, and and they had they had heard Jesus' stories, and and this drill represents all of those people. But the problem. missing something, right? So what you find is when the Holy Spirit comes and he injects himself into believers, you got power. You got, you got real power. And that's the context for what you see right here in Acts 2. And I I want to talk to you this morning when I talk to you about a, a, a church together. There's one specific verse that I thought of when I was putting this together, and it's actually Acts 2.42, right after the 3,000 souls were added. It says, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer. And everyone kept feeling a sense of awe and many wonders and signs were taking place. I mean, power had come upon them. And all those who had believed, this is our verse this morning, all of those who had believed were together and they had all things in common. Now that together and all things in common means a mindset. It doesn't mean they were all in agreement 
I mean, think about it. You had school teachers, retired people, 20-somethings, 30-somethings, 55-somethings, 75-somethings. You had people coming out of the, the, the Jewish faith. You had Gentiles who had never been allowed to go to temple at all. I mean, you had all walks of life. No, it doesn't mean that they were all the same person. It says they were together. And if you read that in the language, what you're going to find is what it, mean, what it means is they had the same mind. They had the same heart. They were on the same page. And so today, as we break open this church reimagined idea, I want to talk with you about some things they did that I believe we can learn from. See, because just like this drill, if this drill is representative of the church, you've only got so much energy, right? You've only got so much energy. I mean, right now, one thing I like about this, I can push a button and see how much my battery is. I got a full battery right now, right? All right, I wish, I wish my kids had, I wish I had one of these on my, the back of my head where they could push and see how much energy dad has to tolerate the question they're about to ask me. Um, you know, wouldn't that be cool? Um, Right, Or if you could have that in some of the people you work with, right? And you could go, okay, is this the time to bring this up or not? Let me put, oh, no, it's not actually the time to bring this up. They don't have much energy left. I'm not going to bring this up till next week, right? So it'd be good. So you've only got so, so much energy. And today I want to talk to you kind of about where did they spend it? Where did they spend their best energy? So based on these verses, let's look at how they did it in verse 44. Actually, let's go back to verse 42. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship and the breaking of bread, and to prayer. I would tell you that the first place that God wants to give you to give your best energy is here. God wants me to give my best energy to shaping my life through his word. Okay? He wants my best energy not to be spent in two-second devotions or maybe just one-minute podcast right before I walk into work tomorrow. Or not, not even, God doesn't just want my best energy to be the first 15 minutes of the day when I get in here maybe and, or read at Oswald Chambers or something like that, and then, and then I move on the rest of the day as if, you know, it's, it's, just, that's just, it's part of my day. I check it, then I move on. No, that's not what they were. When it says they were continually devoting themselves there was a, a mindset. They had, they had all things in common. But the first thing right out of the gate in verse 42, they were, de they were constantly devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. Meaning they weren't trying to be Bible smart. They weren't, they weren't doing this just to get more knowledgeable about where Deuteronomy is or how the kings fell in succession. They weren't doing this to try to somehow figure out the best way of tracking some lineage in Leviticus. No, they were continually devoting themselves to the man Jesus so they could be empowered with life because that's what the word of God does. It gives you life. And so they were devoted to teaching not because they were Bible smart, but because the, the word of God gives us empowerment on how to parent. The word of God gives us empowerment on how to spend our money, right? But the, the, the shame of it all is that I think a lot of times we, we treat the, the word of God, or at least a lot of Christians do, as like, uh, imagine that inside this bag, 
were answers that you needed walking into that sales meeting that you've got with that difficult client next week. Or maybe, maybe your, your 16-year-old daughter has, is going through something and you really don't exactly know how to approach it, but inside this bag were answers, but you're like, like I ain't got time for that, man. I got, I got, I got, I got things to do. It really doesn't help me. If I know I've got real answers to help my boys through a situation, it doesn't help me unless I open it and take from it. Because one thing that's still in this bag is a charger. And that's what the Word of God does. It charges our life. It charges our mind. It charges our ability to filter out truth from error. But it really doesn't matter. I've only got so much space in my battery, right? I've only got, I've only got so much space in the battery of my life. And so if I, if I choose not to charge it, don't be shocked if when I really need it, it's dead. You ever really needed something like your phone and it's dead? You know, it's not a good feeling, right? So they gave, they gave their best energy to being shaped by the word of God. But that's not all. God wants me to give my best energy to sharing my life with his people. Look at what they did in verse 42. It says they were devoted to the teaching and to fellowship. Now I want to tell you, in the Baptist life, um, we got to make really clear that that has nothing to do with food. It can, right? It can have a lot to do with food. I, I like food, but that's not, that's not the point of, of the idea of, of koinonia there. It, 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 the idea is they spent their best energy. In other words, God's people mattered to the people of God. God's people mattered to the people of God. And the people of God spent time with one another because that's eternal. You see, our, our jobs aren't going to go to heaven. Aren't you glad? Whew. Boy, because I was wondering about that one, right? Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that your career path isn't going to heaven? I am. Aren't you glad that HOAs and things you deal with and structures of life and aren't you glad that traffic and all the things like ball practice, aren't you glad that social media won't be in heaven, I am. And it's fascinating to me that, that chief among their priorities were things that were eternal. So why does it tell us that they spent time with people? Because people are eternal. People are eternal. Jesus, Jesus didn't die for institutions. Jesus didn't die for institutions, and he didn't die for cultures. Jesus didn't die for political theories. Jesus didn't die for Republicans or Democrats or Independents or the Green Party or the Tea Party or any other party. Jesus didn't die for constitutions. Jesus didn't die for ec economic gain, capitalism or socialism. Or Jesus died for people. Jesus died for people. And, and, and Jesus came out of the grave for people. And because he came out of the grave for people, that's what he... So the fact that they gave themselves, and it wasn't that they were hanging out like at church all the time. That's not the point. But the Bible says that they had all things in common, and they actually even shared to the point that nobody had any real need. They took care of each other. 
They literally took care of each other. So you can give your best energy to a lot of the things, but where they gave their best energy to was to one another. And you know what? They had kids. I think sometimes we forget that. I think sometimes we forget that right there in the book of Acts, there's like thousands. Did you notice that there were 3,000 people? We don't know their name. And so of those 3,000 people, you know what they had? Aging parents. They had aging parents. They had arthritis. I guarantee you, there's a handful of people in there that have bill collectors calling them. I guarantee you, there was a whole host of people in that 3,000, a whole host of people that nobody knew that the husband and wife hadn't really been talking for four or five months. I guarantee you there were people in that 3,000 that had all kinds of issues with life. They had distractions. They had the exact same life you have. It just moved a little different and it looked a little different, but they had life too. But it says they had all things in common. So God's people were a, people, were, were a priority among the people of God. And, and, and so God wants me to give my best energy to that. You know why? Because people are eternal. And at Clearview, that's what we're really seeking to strive and put is find out how can we reach people that don't have a people? Because sometimes I, one of the things I really do think that we, we, we underestimate you guys, and I'm, I'm, I'm telling you from the bottom of my heart, one of the things I, I really think we underestimate so much is the fact that, 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 there's, that the vast majority of the people that you encounter every day the vast majority of the moms that you see and know in your network, the, the vast majority of the prospective clients that you talk to on the phone, the vast majority of people that you bump into in the car rider line, the vast majority of the people that you sit on those Zoom calls with, they don't have a people. They've got friends to an extent but they have no fallback plan. They, they, they really don't. It's lonely. And so for us, we, we, want to let, we want to let our society know that, hey, listen, there is this thing called the people of God. And, and as we look at how we could be reimagining church, the last thing that they want when they come to us is to see that we really don't live, look, move, act really any different than people do at their job. So if we reimagine, who, who are we called to be? Who are we called to put our best energy toward? Well, shaping our lives through the word of God, investing our lives with sharing our lives with God's people. You know, while I'm on this topic, I, I do want to tell you, I think that's also though, I think that's one of the places that it gets tough. It's tough. Because if you share life with people, well, the same people that make ministry meaningful also make it really messy. See, if I, if I get close to you and you get close to me, well, you're going to see things you just don't like about me. Guess what? It goes both ways. 
And that's not holy or unholy. It just is. Right? I tell new couples all the time as they're about to get married. Michelle and I are walking through one couple right now. uh, And and (laughs) we told them the other night sitting on our patio. I said, listen. I don't know. I don't. There's a there's an expiration date, and I don't know when it is for you. But you'll know when you hit it, because all of a sudden those things that were so awesome when you dated, those habits aren't awesome anymore. You've changed. No, that was always there. It's called dating, and dating is a Novocaine, right? Amen or oh me, right? Let's just be honest, right? You know, I had habits I didn't even know I had. Marriage will reveal them. And that's true for all of us. But if, if you get close to me, you know what? I, I, I remember asking, I, I renewed the vows one time for this couple that had been married 60 years. Man, how cool is that? And I, I remember Miss Peggy, yes, right, right, right before we have our little ceremony, her friends gather around, you know. And I, I mean, we, we, it was just me, it's just me and me and the, the, the husband and wife. And I said, what, do you, what have you learned in 60 years? It's almost like she knew the question was coming. She said, patience. I was like, wow, that, that's good. Patience. And then she said, and a whole lot of forgiveness. And him too. You see, that's just how it works. If we get close to each other, I can promise you. In fact, if you're a guest at Clearview this morning, maybe you're watching online. Why don't you do it? I can save you a lot of time. If you're going to get close to me, why don't you come, meet, call me up. We'll go to lunch. I'm going to just go ahead and give you the fast track of the things you're probably not going to enjoy about me. Okay? I mean, I'm serious. They're really there. I mean, they're really there. I know most of them. But it's the ones I don't know about that are really bad. Right? If you want to know the parts of our church that you're not going to like, ask me. Or just ask any of our staff. They work here. They'll tell you. Oh, we've got it going on in this area, but like in that one, that one, and that one. Like that's, don't touch it. Like it'll bite. That's just how it works. So you can... You can go and, and you can sit at a church and you can sit way off in the margins and never really get involved. But I just want to tell you, if you get involved, what you're going to find is it's not about holy or unholy. It's not about spiritual or not spiritual. It's just people being people. It's just people being people. And so all of the things that we deal with, they dealt with too. But they chose to share life with each other. And, and then there's one other that, that I think that if we're going to reimagine church and we're, if we're going to be a church together, right? That's the idea today. A ch- imagine, just imagine, imagine, despite all of our differences and all of our backgrounds and all of our tragedies and all of our stories of people that were uh, abused as a child and married for the third time and somebody that, that has battled greed their whole life and somebody that's, that, that all of this stuff is put in one bucket and stirred around in this place called Clearview and and, and imagine all of that. If we're going to be, but if we're going to be a church together, God does want me to be shaped through his word. He does want me to share my life with his people. But there's something else that they did in Acts chapter 2. God wants me to give my best energy to spending my life in his mission. 
God wants me to give my best. Remember, you've only got so much energy, right? You can choose to spend it on all kinds of stuff, but... But you can, only, you can choose to spend it however you want to spend it. But I'm just telling you that these people chose, they made a conscious decision to spend their lives on his mission. See, one of the things that you have to understand about the New Testament church, when that church took off and it, and it, it, was, it was really close to Pentecost. Remember I told you the Holy Spirit's the, it's the battery. He, he's the battery, right? So all of a sudden when, when Pentecost comes and, and the battery hits and now we've got real power, all of a sudden you saw signs and wonders and miracles and healings and you saw all this movement. But, but, but if you track church history, what you'll discover is the further they got away from Pentecost in terms of years, the further they moved from the origination, the origination of the Holy Spirit coming into the church, as the years went on and the gospel began to move from continent to continent, what you begin to see is Power coming into a culture and then dying. And then you'd see power coming into another country and then dying. And the gospel would go somewhere else. And then it would, a remnant would be left and it would die. And then it would go over to different parts of Europe. And then a remnant would be left and then it would die. And then it would hop an ocean and it would grow and it would spawn and then it would die. And so you, the further they went away. But what you also see is you see a lot of things happening when churches come back and repent from institutionalism. Richard Halverson was um, speaking in front of the entire Presbyterian uh, assembly one time. And as best we can tell, he was the one that, that said this the, the, the first time. It's been quoted by other people. It's been co- quoted by many celebrities. But it goes back to this man, Richard Halverson. And, and this is what he said about the gospel and about Christianity. He said, In the beginning, the church was a fellowship of men and women centering on the living Christ. Then the church moved to Greece, where it became a philosophy. And then it moved to Rome, where it became an institution. And next, it moved to Europe, where it became a culture. And finally, it moved to America, where it became an enterprise. He means a business. Let me tell you, there's a lot of weight in that. You see, the good news is, though, that when you look across church history and you find pockets of people that are willing to repent from that, you see power. When they get back to the origins of of working about the mission of God, you see power happen. And what you see in the book of Acts, you don't see a church that was being conformed to culture. You see a church shaping it. You see a church literally penetrating government. You see it penetrating the school systems. You see it penetrating the lives and the homes and the neighborhoods. You see it penetrating all of that. They shaped culture. When I was, in, uh, when I was at Southwestern, I was a young guy, about 22 years old, and, and one day I'm in, uh, I'm in class, and, and uh, Roy Fish, Dr. Roy Fish, who was one of the grandfathers of our seminary, 
He said, I want you guys to meet this guy. He was a, a, an assistant, a, 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 like a graduate assistant of mine. And uh, he's about to go start a church in, in Los Angeles. And, and it was Erwin McManus. Erwin didn't look like that. Erwin uh, was a lot, he didn't look like, like he looks like, like something off of like an L.L. Bean cover or something right there. Um, but but I, remember, I remember sitting there in class and I was in the front row uh, because I like Dr. Fish and I don't know. He was, he was just a unique person and I sat on the front row because I, I really loved his, his time with him. And, and so Erwin was about from me to that podium there and and uh, we had no idea who he was, and he certainly didn't know who he was. He didn't know he was going to be Urban McManus. And you, 99% of you in here never heard of him, but in the church world, he, he, he did some pretty cool, done some pretty cool stuff, and he started a church called Mosaic, and, and he's, he's a really unique guy. But, but I could tell as he said, Urban, tell him what you're going to go try and do in California. And so he began to lay out this vision and of, what, of what he thought the church could do in a, in a culture that had left church behind, and and you could just tell when the guy talked. You ever been around people that you could just tell, like, I don't know what they're going to do, but they're going to do something? You ever been around people like that? Like, you're just, I don't know what they're going to do, but, like, I need to kind of keep up with this dude because the hand of the Lord's on him. Well, he's written several books, and one of the books he wrote was called An Unstoppable Force. He wrote it about 10 years ago, An Unstoppable Force. And, and I, I, would, I, would, I would tell you, I went back and read some of it this week, and I, re- I was reminded of why I loved that book so much, An Unstoppable Force. He wrote it about 10 years ago, but I want to tell you, he's in some ways a cultural prophet. And that, 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 the whole idea is what happened. That's the, that's the point of the book, what happened? How did we get here? to where we were an institution when we used to be a, a movement of visionaries, prophets, and dreamers. How do we all of a sudden become an institution? And, and, and in that, I, I pulled a quote from that book, and I want you to, this gives you a little heartbeat of kind of what's behind it. Erwin said, quote, he's quoting, he said, we're looking for a church that meets our needs. It seems like I've heard this one a thousand times. The phenomenon of church shoppers has profoundly shaped the contemporary church. The entire conversation is not about relevance, but convenience. The focus is not in serving the world. The church itself became the focal point. Our motto degenerated from, we are the church here to serve a lost and broken world, to what does the church have to offer me? This move has made the pastor the only minister, while making the members the only recipients of ministry. He goes on to say it this way in that particular chapter. Go to the next image. What is lost in this process is an army of healers touching the planet. You cannot wash the feet of a dirty world if you refuse to touch it. An unstoppable force. What what you see in the book of Acts is they weren't afraid to touch those around them. They gave more than their money. They gave more than their time. They gave themselves. They gave themselves. And so it, when you look at, at, at how Acts and the church worked, one of the things you don't see is you don't, you don't see, there's a lot you see and a lot you don't see. And, and it starts with what you see in the life of Jesus. Jesus never commanded the church in Acts, and he doesn't command our church either. He didn't tell us to, to bring everybody here. 
But that's kind of been the, the, the dominant narrative of what's happened in the last 60, 70 years in America is, is that we made the campus the center focus of what we got. We got to get people. I, I, I grew up my whole life hearing, we got, they got to get in church. Well, I know a lot of people in church. But that doesn't mean they're going to go to heaven. Any more than parking, parking my car in a garage makes it safe. It doesn't. It, it, it just means there's a shelter there but a tree could still fall on it. So, so the, the reality is that it's not, it's not that we are commanded to bring people to church. Jesus actually said, go into the world. Go into the world. And so when we, if we can reclaim that and we can imagine a church that, that isn't about just bringing people here, I think we're going to go a long way to seeing a lot, of, a lot of things change. Even right here in Franklin, what you see in the book of Acts is they engaged their culture. It's a profound statement, isn't it? You cannot wash the feet of a dirty world if you refuse to touch it. But we are commanded to touch it. We're commanded to strive with one another and walk with one another and believe the best about each other and put up with one another and, and strive valiantly one to another. And it says that great power happened when they chose to do that. Because one of the things I love that you see about the New Testament church so much is right beside a banker who was a Jew, you would see a prostitute who was a Gentile, former prostitute, as of yesterday. And right beside her, you could see a Roman who used to be there to take over and is now following this man, Jesus, who healed his daughter. And right beside him, you saw somebody who had never gone to church in their life. They didn't know the first thing about what anybody was talking about. You ever had that feeling? I've had that feeling. When I first started going to church, I'm like, I don't know anything y'all are saying. Like, y'all got a whole different vocabulary. I don't know any of it. But I, I knew there was something about Jesus that I needed. What I love about the New Testament church is you see them all mashed up in there together. But sometimes I will tell you that if you want to understand the scriptures, here's one thing you're going to have to do. You're not just going to have to look at what you see. You're going to have to look at what you don't see. Sometimes the best way to interpret scripture is ask yourself, what isn't happening? Right? What are they not doing? What are they not doing? What you don't see in Acts chapter 2 is you don't see them focused on what can the church do for my family. That was never brought up. You don't see, that wasn't a priority. It, oh, it may, have been, it may have been on the list, but it wasn't a determining factor. You, you don't see a location. In fact, it just says they were kind of everywhere. You don't see a location brought up. You, you, don't see, you don't see a church focused on preserving culture. So often we spend a lot of our time preserving culture of the church. They weren't trying to preserve an institution. They were trying to invade a society with a message that you can be saved from this wicked and perverse generation. You really can. 
And then something happens along the way. It kind of spawns two chapters. I'm not going to have you turn there. I just want you to listen to it. In Acts chapter 4, I put it on the screen for you. It says, the, the congregation of those who believed were of one heart. There it is again. Imagine a church together. Imagine a church together that spent their best energy on being together when they could have spent their best energy on what they didn't like about each other. And the congregation of those who were believed were of one heart and one soul. And not one of them claimed that anything belonged to him was his own. But all things, there it is, were common property among them. And here's the verse, verse 33. And with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord. And abundant grace was upon them all. Did you notice that power doesn't come before harmony? Did you see that? Power doesn't come before unity. You, 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 can't, you can't have unity. Oh, you can have unity without uniformity, but you can't have power without togetherness. Did you hear me? You can't have power without togetherness. They were focused on a lot of things, but the chief among them, they were focused on the mission. They were focused on the mission. They were focused on the mission. You know, you can give your best energy, you guys. You can give your best energy to a lot of things. You can. You can give your best energy to a lot of things. But it tells us if we want to see power come upon us, then we're going to have to imagine a church that, that isn't hung up on legalities, that isn't hung up on preserving structures. Gosh, if, if the pandemic's taught us anything, if the pandemic has taught us anything in the world of business, it has taught us that those businesses that can move and morph like that, those are the ones that are going to make it. Those are the ones that are going to make it. If you cannot adjust in a post-COVID world, your days are numbered. Right? Your days are numbered. Ask anybody in business right now, they'll tell you. Regardless of what their business is, if you cannot adjust in a post-COVID society, there's a shelf life on you. And the church is no different. So we can spend our best energy on all kinds of things. God never, God never is going to, he's not going to force us. Listen to me. He's not, listen to me. He's not going to force us of where we're going to spend our best energy. I mean, we can set the sail or we cannot set the sail, but power will come upon us if we set it the way they set the sail. Where are you spending your best energy? I want to ask you that question this morning. I want you to listen to me really close. So if you were asleep, and I have been known to put people to sleep before, it's okay. But if you were asleep, would you open your heart for about two minutes? Just for about two minutes. I want to ask you a very personal question. Where are you spending your best energy? When it comes to the idea of the kingdom of God here at Clearview. Because you know what? You know what happens, don't you? If I keep this up,
eventually it just goes dead, right? If I keep, if I keep using that, I've only got a limited amount of supply in where I choose to let the Spirit use me. So you got to ask yourself, where are you spending your best energy? When you look at the idea of church, when you imagine the idea of church, let me ask you something. Some of you are coming back to church for the first time in a long time. Some of you are having to muster up the stamina for church. You've been going to church a long time since you were a little kid. Has church sometimes left you spent? Could I set before you a new question? Could it be that you're spending your best energy in places you were never meant to spend it? Could it be that you're spending the best energy you have in ways you were never created to spend it when it comes to this idea here? So the question that I really want to put in front of you this morning is have you given 100% of your life to Jesus and his gospel? Now, I didn't say, have you been baptized? I didn't say that. I didn't, I didn't ask you that. Have you given 100% of your life to Jesus and his gospel? Has your best energy gone there? Because I want to tell you, it could be that you're weary because it could be that churches. I wonder, I'm, I curiously wonder if we could somehow spiritually audit. Like if we could, if we could spiritually audit churches across this nation to find out. Like you know when they do, when they come into buildings and they do control experiments to where the flow of HVAC and the flow of power is going. Companies do that. I wonder if we did that with churches, if maybe we would find that the reason the cultural impact is so low is because they're giving their best energy to things that in the end don't matter. In the book of Acts, you see them shaped by God's word, sharing their life with people. And as diverse and different and disagreeable and all the things they could be, they were together. And it was beautiful. And great power came on them. You know, you often don't think about sharing something with somebody like a tweet or an email or sending them a sermon or sending them a podcast. You don't often think of that as missions, but it is. It's not that you have to send it to the whole world or post every single thing we do at Clearview on your feed. But if, if you've heard a sermon or if you've listened to a podcast, think through your life. I mean, God, who needs to hear this? Sometimes it, it, it doesn't need to go on your Facebook page. Sometimes it needs to go on your Twitter. But sometimes just a simple text to one person can make all the difference in the world to sending them the Word of God in real time. Share it. You'd be surprised how far it goes.